Good evening and welcome to the Lotus Flower Podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Pamela Robinson, and I am so excited once again to have you all back with me in the virtual and audio spaces. This evening, we have a very special guest with us, and she will be coming to us shortly. However, before we bring her on, I'd like to do some housekeeping with you all. So once again, the Lotus Flower Podcast, we are a biblically-based podcast audience that streams both virtually and we stream in on the audio platforms every Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Streaming live on the Facebook page under the Dr. Pamela Robinson Facebook page and then streaming live on my Lotus Flower YouTube channel as well. Then, after I've had an opportunity to edit the podcast over the next few days, I will upload it to our audio streams, which airs on various audio platforms. So pretty much wherever you find your audio platform podcast, you can tune in and listen 24 hours a day, seven days a week to the Lotus Flower Podcast. My guest this evening is none other than Ms. Jasmine. Ms. Jasmine Westbrook. She is a registered dietitian here in the city of Raleigh, North Carolina. However, before we go any further, I'd like for you to take a look at her bio, in which I will share the screen now so we can look at her bio together. Ms. Jasmine Westbrook, she is the co-director of Eat Well, and it is a company here in North Carolina that actually that actually works right alongside people to change their perception about what it means to eat healthy, putting a focus on culture. So as you can see from her website, Ms. Jasmine here on the right works as a registered dietitian at Diabetes Outpatient Facility and she believes in a realistic approach to improving nutritional habits for better quality of life. Her interest in nutrition blossomed from health problems dominating her family life, but could have been corrected through preventative diet measures. She earned her Bachelor's of Science degree in nutrition and dietetics from the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga and earned her master's degree in clinical nutrition from Roseland Franklin University. She has worked as a nutrition education specialist in the Florida Department of Health for three years while counseling patients concerning health issues impacting the community. Throughout her experience and service with the community and with the Florida Health Department, she saw there was a huge need of nutrition education in minorities through culture. So as you can see, it's 
says our story. There are three friends that came together and we wanted to change the perception of a healthy meal by putting a focus on culture. In February 2017, Eat Well Exchange was born and since then, we have been providing nutrition education to the populations that need it most, locally and abroad. Their mission is to empower low socioeconomic communities with the access, knowledge, and confidence they need to eat a healthy, nutritious diet within their own food culture. And mission is in the generational cycle of negative healthy outcomes in low-income communities through nutrition education. So what they do, they have access, they educate, they partner, and they also offer culinary experiences, as you can see. And there are opportunities you can donate generously to support their efforts. Only 2.7 dietitians identify as Black. We teach community and healthcare providers that serve these communities how to use cultural foods to promote healthier habits. Once again, my guest this evening is none other than Ms. Jasmine Westbrook, and you are viewing her website at this time, and in your leisure, Please go back and look at the podcast and also click on the links that are showing on the podcast episode. When you click on those links, you will be able to read about Ms. Jasmine and her co-director and learn about their business. We won't be able to get into all of it this evening, so I would encourage you not to miss out on this opportunity to learn about this amazing opportunity, whereby it will help you to become even healthier than you already are at this particular time and moment. Once again, this is the Lotus Flower Podcast, episode title, Food and Mental Health, Season 3, Episode 22. And I am your host, Dr. Pamela Robinson. I'd like to welcome now to the podcast none other than Ms. Jasmine Westbrook. Welcome. Hello. How are you doing? I'm well. Would you mind meeting our greeting our guests at this time? Yes, I'm Jasmine Westbrooks. I'm a registered dietitian and a certified diabetes educator. And I am the co-founder of Eat Well Exchange, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that teaches people how to eat healthy based on their culture. And I also own a consulting company now, um, Nourished Nutrition, helping people to develop healthy relationships with food uh, through type 2 diabetes, pre-diabetes, and weight management. So I'm excited to be here and talk with you today. Thank you. Thank you again. Before we go into our discussion, can you tell me what gave you the passion to want to become a dietitian? 
You know, it's funny that you asked that because when I was in school um, at the University of Tennessee out of Chattanooga, um, I had in my head that I was going to go to school to be a veterinarian. And that was it. I okay. loved animals. That's what I was going to do. Um, but then it changed when my family, specifically my mom um, and my grandfather, started to have like medical conditions that popped up or just like GI issues that would pop up. And their doctors actually recommended that they see a dietitian. And so I had never heard of a dietitian before. I was like, that's interesting. I know I love food. I love to eat different types of food, but I never thought about how food directly affects a lot of the loved ones that had passed on um, because of their diet and was then affecting my mom and grandparents, you know, right in front of my eyes. So I looked at the school enrollment uh, curriculum of like classes and everything. And uh, they offered nutrition and dietetics as a major and for me to get my degree in that. And so I changed my major. I just felt like it was a God wink sign. Like, okay, it is time yes. to change you uh -huh. to um, something that's a little bit more, you know, impactful at the time in my life um, that I didn't realize. So that's how I became a dietitian in short story. Oh, good. It's a passion. Well, good for you. Well, this evening we are talking about food and mental health. And as we talk about food and mental health, what is the different role that tell us about um, what is a dietitian, first of all? And then tell us about your nonprofit organization. Yeah, so a, a dietitian is pretty much a registered dietitian. Um, a registered dietitian is someone who is an expert at nutrition and food. And so throughout college, what we do is we study about the different um, biochemical processes of how food affects your body in different ways. We learn about the impact of food from an individual standpoint and a community standpoint. We learn about disease processes and how food can impact different disease processes as well. And then you also have other versions of opportunities where you can practice nutrition, maybe like in a food service kitchen or in a community setting, like my nonprofit organization or the hospital or nursing home or with a food company. So a dietitian has a lot of different roles, but I think people don't understand specifically like how does a dietitian or how can a dietitian help me? But we really assess, you know, what pieces to the puzzle that you may be missing in your diet that contribute to maybe symptoms or signs of medical conditions. And even if you don't have medical conditions, there may be specific symptoms like being fatigued or tired or other symptoms that may come up in your life and it may be directly food related and a dietitian helps with that. And so I understand that people understand when to go to the doctor, right? When you feel sick, but if you want to know what to eat, and want to eat for yourself individually and based on your preferences, you definitely need to see a dietitian. Um, and my nonprofit organization um, is Eat Well Exchange. And like I mentioned before, we tell people how to eat healthy based on their culture. And the reason that we do this is because we know this when I worked at the health department at the time, that people that look like us, people of color, mm -hmm. would come into mm -hmm. the you know office to get nutrition education, but they weren't really given recommendations that fit who they were, that didn't identify mm -hmm. with them. They didn't have access to these foods that they were being told to eat. 
And so that's when we started to do more research about foods from our culture um, and see mm -hmm. what the benefits are and educate people based on their cultural foods, because there is a lot of misinformation out there about foods mm -hmm. from different cultures that it's not healthy, but it actually is healthy. I see. And when you're ed educating them about the foods that are healthy in their own culture, how easy is that to actually change a person's mindset and way of doing things? Because they might have done that. Their mama did it. Their great-grandma did it. Great-great-grandma did it that way. And then we step in and want to change that mindset. Can you tell me if is that something that you find difficulty in doing with certain populations or is it not as difficult and they're receptive to what you're teaching? You know, it is a little difficult because when we think about what healthy food is, we don't think of soul food, right? We don't think right. of food from the culture of Jamaica or we don't think of Asian cuisine as being necessarily healthy. We think of certain foods in this country that are Western that we feel like we have to eat to be healthy. And so it is on my side as a professional, it takes a lot of mm -hmm. convincing um, and a lot of talking through to people that, oh, soul food can be healthy, but maybe it's just the That's way right. we prepare it, right? You know, right. the history of how soul food was prepared back in the day, there was a reason for that because of survival. But now that we're right. in a different place, we can use or prepare those same foods in different ways that actually support our health and actually hurt it. So um, it is funny that I do see people and they're like, what? Soul food's healthy. When I think of soul food, I think of, <laughs> and they start naming all these, you know, sweet or fatty things. Well, I'm like, but you're forgetting about the garden vegetables. You're forgetting about mm -hmm. the whole grains. You're forgetting about all those other elements that grandma and grandpa actually lived off of and they grew their own food and it is healthy, um, we're missing those pieces. So I think we do need to come back a little bit to our history when it comes to the food and growing our own food as well to understand like those things actually do have benefits. That's good. That's great. Now, tell me, how does the food that we eat directly affect our mental health? Oh, that's a great question. It affects it a lot. Um, and a couple of things I want to bring up too about mental health is the fact that there are particular foods, we hear of this all the time, like sugary or fatty processed foods, right? They do, mm -hmm. and there is research to show that it can worsen our mood. It can worsen our anxiety as well and our ability to concentrate in certain instances. And so when we think about like sugary processed foods, I want us to, I want to really break down what types of foods those are. You know, those can be foods where basically in the processing of it from where it comes from to, to the point of being on the shelf to in your home, they're taking out nutrients from those foods and you're left with, you know, little fiber, maybe a lot of sugar um, and other things that are lacking in that particular food. So there are certain foods that are more processed than others. Um, some examples of those would be like maybe crackers or maybe cookies or things like that that go through so much processing of nutrients out of them. But the sad part is most Americans eat these things on a regular basis. And what we need to do is supplement with some of our whole foods, like your fruits and vegetables, your whole grains, your fish, your seafood, beans as a high fiber food, your nuts and seeds. 
um, having modest amounts of lean meat or dairy. Because I know like being in this country of America, we love to stack our plate with lots of like fatty meats or even lots of lean meat. You know, so changing how we get our sources of protein more from our plant sources instead of just solely on animal sources. Um, and when we eat these types of foods, what happens is it starts to decrease depression by 25 <laughs> to 35 percent. It starts to, you know, um, serve our bodies in a way where we're decreasing inflammation, which we know inflammation is directly associated with preventable uh, medical conditions. Uh, that could have been solved through eating a healthy diet. So it's not an overnight thing. It takes time. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that sometimes we feel like we have to be on the next great diet to have mental mm -hmm. health when it's really just small steps in, in certain foods that we should add more of instead of thinking about what we're taking away from our diet. Mm -hmm. And we'll see how much of a change that it makes on our mood, our ability to concentrate, um, I think it's funny too. Like we think we talk about mental health and food, but also we don't think about are we eating enough? Because yes, we're so busy sometimes where we forget to eat. And if you forget to eat, that brings your blood sugars down, and then that makes you irritable. <laughs> I don't know about right. you all, but That's I've right. seen I've right. seen patients before where they're irritable, and it's like, when was the last time that you ate? <laughs> you know, right. so those right. are. Those are things we need to like consider too. What's the behaviors around our eating habits? Not only what type of foods we eat, um, but yes, your your sugary and processed foods definitely takes a hard hit on uh, your gut, your brain, and the gut and brain have a connection with each other. So it's important to mm -hmm. eat those foods that you know serve your gut, and then that will also serve your brain and your mental health as well. That makes good sense. And also you talked about processed foods. So would it be better if I was to purchase frozen vegetables? Like if I love spinach and I go to the store and I purchase some frozen spinach or would I want to per would I want to go to the black farmers market where I met you and your co-director and purchase that fresh spinach right. instead of having it frozen out of the uh, departments, out of the grocery store? What would That's you say? a good question. Yeah. So um, since you gave like the Black Farmers Market example, that's like a local experience where you're getting local fresh foods. And that mm -hmm. will be a better, um, I won't say better, but you do get a lot more nutrients because it's local. It didn't have to travel, you know, like from California to get to North Carolina uh, for mm -hmm. you to eat. And so it will retain most of this nutrients. But if we think about some of the foods that we may buy in the store that are fresh, again, if they're coming from California, that's a long way. And throughout that transit time, it's losing nutrients. So frozen can be a good alternate if you can't buy local fresh because they freeze them at peak season and you freeze the nutrients. And so there's just... Again, that's one, another one of those myths, too. It's like we have to eat everything fresh and good. Mm -hmm. Yes, fresh, local, if you have access to it. But if you don't, mm -hmm. frozen can still be a great option for you um, because of how it's processed to be frozen right at its peak season. So it really depends on where you are and what you have access to in that moment. Oh, that's a, that's a really good answer because I've always been taught, you know, that the frozen, you know, that the frozen would be... Um, 
would be would be like not as good as those things that are fresh because you know you are getting the new less nutrients but you said there are times at the peak season that they're frozen they still could have retained some of the nutrients yes absolutely absolutely Mm -hmm. and even too i i always dispel the myth too about like canned foods like again if you only have available canned beans I'm not saying eat the candy bar instead of the canned beans, right? Like that's not an equal (laughs) comparison of which one is better, but there's different strategies that you can do, like rinse the beans or, you know, soak them or things like that, where you can get some of that sodium off and it enhances the healthiness of it. So, um, yeah, it just depends on the person. Now, so let me ask you this, when we're talking about food and mental health, and I'm thinking about some foods that sometimes many of us that look like you and I, we just love those collard greens, those turnip greens, those mustard greens. We get them and we cook them, cook them, cook them, cook them, cook them. And we put all that ham hock in or smoked turkey hocks. In. Well, I think I'm going to be healthy because I'm going to put smoked turkey hocks in. I'm still going to end all of that. And can you tell me, is, is that healthy, though? Because at least I'm getting a vegetable in. But is, but is that actually healthy the way that they are prepared in most of your um, african-american homes yeah that's a good question i would say start with what you were doing before and what i mean by that is if you were putting like the fat back and all that stuff in the greens before the intention of why you're now substituting it for turkey or some type of leaner source of meat is because it's lean. It doesn't have as much saturated fat, as much trans fat. And in some cases it has less sodium. So it doesn't mean that it's not going to be in at all, but it still Mm -hmm. will have a lot less than what you may have used before when you're using the fat back. But um, there's different methods. I mean, I grew up, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. I grew up with grandmother cooking <laughs> the greens all night long until they yeah. looked like they were no longer alive and the color changed <laughs> and, and all of that. And so with that, that's that's going along with like the cooking method, right? Most people don't realize right. that you cook greens for that long in water, you're losing the nutrients, uh-huh. specifically water-soluble nutrients. You're losing that mm-hmm. from the greens and it's in the water now. And so mm-hmm. when you eat the greens, if you're not drinking the water or the juice that's in it. You're really missing right. those nutrients. So it's about thinking outside the box. How can I cook mm-hmm. these greens? Can I cook them in a skillet? Right. Can I saute them? Right. I actually, mm-hmm. if you go to our website, our website has jerk collard greens on there. And we're not. Cooking oh, my. Yeah, we're not cooking those all night. We're cooking them in a pan. <laughs> quick mm-hmm. and easy and they taste really really good so oh my <laughs> and what do you use to season those with what so type actually, of meat or do you use some meat no no we don't use any okay. meat uh we use a little bit of broth we use our homemade jerk seasoning that i think we also have posted where it's a lot of different herbs and spices together to give us that mm-hmm. jerk flavor um mm-hmm. very minimum salt um, so, and, and, and that's another thing too, you know, if you can't or do not want to make a homemade jerk seasoning, right, um, mm-hmm. that's low in sodium, you can always read the label to see, you know, what, um, compared to the regular jerk seasoning, how much less can you go with the sodium? You can compare those labels mm-hmm. and use that that's as good. well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I'm glad you pointed out that with the mental health and food, how that ties into the mood and it can tie into depression 
and 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 I'm so glad you pointed out that sometimes if we don't eat enough food, that it can contribute to irritability and all. If someone's so busy, just they have so many things to do, multitasking, especially busy professionals. I'm a guilty person for that. I may <laughs> wait and eat. I want to eat until dinner time. You know, yeah. and then I'm, you know, I don't get irritable, but I get like real tired, tired. and like that. So I'm yeah. glad you pointed that out, that we've got to eat also to to keep our mental health well and our mood intact and all of that. And That's and then sugar, sugar, when you pointed out sugar being, you know, sugar will make contribute. Did you say can contribute to depression? Yeah, like it can, it can contribute to anxiety, and 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 I'll say sugar. Like think of processed sugar, because I I know sometimes when we think of sugar, we think of every single thing that's broken down in our body that turns to sugar. But you have to remember mm -hmm. there are like um, fruit, for example, like berries, beans. Mm -hmm. They are processed down into sugars, but the only difference and the most important difference is the fiber, and that's what makes mm -hmm. it healthy. That's what makes it supportive for your brain and for your GI tract. So when we say sugars, we mean, you know, very processed sugars where they have little fiber, little nutrients. Um, those are things we want to minimize, you know, not eat as much. I say make it like 20% of your diet or less, mm -hmm. and then eat those whole foods and those high fiber um, foods, you know, that you may get from like potatoes or something like that, your 80% um, of your diet. Yes. And when would, if someone wanted to change their diet that's listening tonight to improve their mental health, so they cut back on the sugars and they cut back on the fried foods and they cut back on using some of those meats that we traditionally season our greens with, the fat bag and the ham hock and all that, how long would it take for them to start seeing some improvement in their mental health after cutting back and changing their diet? That's a very good question. It's definitely going to vary per person because, again, everybody's starting from a different starting point. Um, but I've mm -hmm. seen people and work with them, especially when it comes to like mood or maybe anxiety or concentration, that they start to notice a difference within one to two weeks. Um, yeah, about one to two weeks. Now, I will say one good way to kind of do this is to pretty much take all those foods out if you can and then slowly add them back in. Because then you'll know if it made a big difference. So, for example, mm -hmm. if you love eating a bag of potato chips every day, I'm just kind of giving a random example. Mm -hmm. Completely stop doing that. And then the next week, like do it for a week. And then the next week, mm -hmm. add the potato chips back in and then see how much of a difference that it makes you feel. And that's oh, how you know, like, okay, these potatoes just make me very tired about an hour after eating them. Maybe I should mm -hmm. eat them as often. And I know it was the potato chips or I knew it was, you know, whatever food um, that you feel like you're struggling to eliminate for the long term. That's her. Yeah, that's excellent. That's how they would know. That is mm -hmm. just excellent. When we talk more so about uh, the topic of food and mental health, are there foods that we should not be eating due to direct connection with the decline of mental health? Yeah, I would honestly focus on eliminating as much as possible your foods without fiber, 
Um, even though there are proteins, of course, that do not have fiber, protein and animal protein in general don't have fiber. But think of like your packaged foods that really don't have an intention for your body to have them to help you to thrive, mm -hmm. you know, to help you to feel better. So I'm not really um, for, you know, just completely eliminating it for the rest of your life because that's kind of impossible. Mm -hmm. But in what ways mm -hmm. can you decrease it or not have as often? And again, think about those low fiber foods. Those are the mm -hmm. type of foods that you want to have every so often and not as much on a regular basis. Miss Jasmine, can you name some of the low fiber foods that you may be talking referring absolutely to. so you have like crackers any type of packaged foods like your chips of course you have other types um of foods like it, i know nowadays they have so many like a snack foods <laughs> so many yes. different types so there's you know on the back of a label to know if something has very little fiber if it has mm -hmm. less than two grams of fiber per serving it doesn't have much of any fiber you know so okay. it's not going to count towards mm -hmm. that 80% of your high fiber foods. Um, so I would start there because majority of the time, the low fiber foods come from being packaged in some type of way. And so it's important to look at that label and make sure it, mm -hmm. it at least has about two to three grams of fiber. I see. And how much fiber, or did you say that a person should have in a day? Yes. So the amount of fiber everyone should have on average is about 25 to 35 grams per day. Um, for those of you all who do not meet that right now, which I can tell you that's most Americans, most Americans get half of that amount. You want to gradually increase that fiber because if you all of a sudden just go for, you know, your 30 grams of fiber in a day and you haven't had close to 30 in like 10 years, <laughs> your stomach mm -hmm. may not agree with that right off. Right. So yeah, it's, it's right. a gradual process of adding more and more fiber. And what that can look like is you adding fiber rich foods. And so some examples of those would be like your fruits and vegetables. Um, it'd be your nuts and seeds. So like your pistachios, your almonds, your pecans, if you like those. Um, you also get fiber from beans. So any type of bean you can name, black beans, pinto, black eyed peas, uh, lima beans, uh, great northern beans. Beans have the most fiber out of any plant foods I'm naming. So if you're missing fiber in your diet, you adding a mm -hmm. half a cup of beans is going to get you closer to that 25 to 35 grams of fiber per day. Um, and then mm -hmm. grains. I don't want to, you mm -hmm. know, miss out on the grains. That can be like your rice or your pasta, your whole wheat bread, your oatmeal. All those different types of foods um, have fiber as well. I see. Now, um, I grew up with a family. I had eight in my family, a mother and father with eight kids. But my mother knew, and my dad was, uh, he worked, and he, my mom was a house, housewife. And so he, my mother knew how to stretch that that dollar. So her favorite thing to do was to make sure she cooked some pinto beans at least once a week. Yes. With some ham hocks in there and, and all that. <laughs> Tell me, is it healthy to have all those ham hocks and those pinto beans? They were delicious. Don't get me wrong. It's a cornbread. <laughs> and some neck bones that taste yes. like steak. And, and <laughs> I wondered if it was the healthiest, the way that she cooked those beans. And she cooked the beans all day long also. My dad would be at work and she would have those beans cooking <laughs> all day long. 
yeah. Yeah. The beans are a little bit different. Like yeah. it is hard to take fiber out of some beans. So cooking it okay. in a crock pot for the beans will be fine. Um, what I hear though is, you know, if we're honest, meat brings flavor because it has fat. Mm -hmm. So yes. for, for me, if you know that you like that taste on your tongue, like that savory, fatty taste, maybe right. adding healthier versions of fat to it instead of like the example that you gave, right? Mm -hmm. So I would think about, okay, how can I add um, this type of oil, right? Can I add like mm -hmm. a heart healthy oil, like an avocado oil? Um, can I mm -hmm. maybe think of some savory spices like cumin, um, or mm -hmm. like chili powder and those type of things to add. If you don't want to do that, you know, you're, you're gradually starting to make these changes, going to that mm -hmm. piece of meat that is very lean. So mm -hmm. there's many different types of lean meats that you can add in there in place of it. Um, so mm -hmm. that would be my recommendation just to keep the flavor as much as you can. And, and the goal is to change your taste buds too. Like, we want to gradually mm -hmm. change our taste buds. And that takes time mm -hmm. if you've been doing things for 30 plus years, you know? So yes. it, it takes time. Mm -hmm. It does. But then again, I go back to saying how, how, how bad do we want to be healthy? How bad do we want to obtain really uh, good mental health? And then be able to pass that down to from generation to generation, you know, Absolutely. and kind of break, break that that cycle of dysfunction right. and then also to get be able to get away from some of the medications that oftentimes are necessary but sometimes some of the medications that are prescribed for mental health conditions maybe could be maybe did away with or even tapered down some mm -hmm. if we were able to really get our diets under control yeah i do believe Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that too about like the medications. Because even like when I work with people who have diabetes, it's like, okay, I'm on this diabetes medications. I can eat whatever I want because I'm on this medication. But even if you read closely to these, you know, the small words, right, on the medications, it encourages you to still eat a healthy, balanced diet while taking the medication. And that's a great way to get the most, you know, the greatest impact, right, from the greatest yes. benefit from taking that med. So I think that's one thing that people miss too. The medication doesn't, it, it, it helps, but it, it you need to also implement other lifestyle habits added to that medication to get mm -hmm. the full efficiency of it. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And also when we think, uh, go a little bit further in this conversation, what does eating your cultural foods mean and why is it so important? It's very important. I think that honestly would be an answer that will be different if you ask somebody differently. And I can even yes. pick up on what you said about like how the beans and the certain type of meat, it brought back a memory for you. And it yes, brought it back, yeah, it brought back <laughs> like who you are. So food for us is not just about feeling hungry or getting nutrients. If we're honest, food is about who we are. It's our identity. It's surrounded mm -hmm. by experiences. It's surrounded by traditions. And so mm -hmm. it's important for us to know the benefits, not just from what we feel from eating those foods, but you know, what are the nutrients behind them? How can we mm -hmm. add them together to be supportive, to live a sustainable life around the table with these foods? 
Um, so mm -hmm. eating your cultural foods mean that it's who you are. And it's important for us to not abandon those foods based on the foundation of what they are. Um, mm -hmm. And it's important because it can change our lives and it can yeah. make us live longer if prepared mm -hmm. in a way that's going to support our health. And it could also improve the mood and affect. Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Eating around the table, fellowshipping around a meal. Mm -hmm. Down here, Amazing. I'll tell you, since I moved down to North Carolina from Michigan, West Michigan, everything that we do at my job is centered around food. We never yes. have a meeting without food. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. And we expect so, it. <laughs> yes, that's right. We come in and like, oh, we're having a meeting. It was going to be food. So people oh, show right. up. <laughs> that's right. So it does improve our mood. You know, even with you and I talking about thinking about those meetings with the food being included. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just meeting with one. Of, I have um, five therapists that report to me and I'm in the process of um doing all of their evaluations because we're at the end of the fiscal year. So um, so that um, I can celebrate them, the company will pay for me to take them to lunch or breakfast as okay. I share their evaluation. So this morning, me and one of, the, uh, one of the young ladies, we went to a place called the Flying Biscuit. It was a breakfast place, the Flying Biscuit in Durham. And they had very good healthy health choices at this place, gluten-free things, just all types of a, a menu, some a vegan choices, as well as just regular choices. But when we met, just to know that there was foods in, mixed into the conversation, it improved what we were talking about. Because oftentimes when you sit down and you're getting your evaluation from your supervisor, you're already anxious. You're thinking it's they're going to tell you something negative, something you're not doing correct and all of that. So that food really helped to set the tone of Absolutely. what we were talking about, even though the person had an outstanding evaluation <laughs> and whatnot. So it yes. didn't have to be anxious or anything like that. But um, food centered around meetings, food when you're meeting with people at your church Oftentimes, when we're in a faith-based meeting, we have our food at the table. You know, Jesus fellowshiped and he had food when people were with him around right. the table. There's something about that that soothes us and it kind of calms our mental health as well. But yeah. as you're saying, though, it just you have to be very careful about what types of food that you're putting in because garbage in, garbage out. Right, yes. right. Right. And all. Now, when you talked about eating our cultural foods, when I talk about culture, you know, being an African-American woman and I was brought up in your traditional African-American home with a, a blue. My dad was a blue collar worker. So not and we weren't um, we weren't poor, but we weren't like rich either. So right. I, I was brought up just eating just your regular foods and all. So my cultural foods would be macaroni and cheese. There would be pinto beans, lima beans. There were liver, fried liver and onions. Both my parents were from the South, even though I was raised in Michigan. So there were fried liver and onion. There was fried okra. Everything was fried. Fried okra, fried, <laughs> li fried liver, onion, rice, chicken backs that were made to just deliciously. Those types of things were my cultural foods. And um, 
And on Fridays, my mom would allow the children to take what we wanted. So we would have like pizza and hot dogs and stuff like that <laughs> only on Friday nights. Cause my dad yeah. was a man's man. He had to have three course meal every night and everything. So my cultural foods, they probably weren't the most healthiest as I'm, as I'm, when I'm sharing it with you, but uh, my mom prepared them very well and they were very delicious. And that's all she knew because that's where she came from, from the South. Right. And her mom cooked that way and her, her grandma and great grandma and all goes on and on and on like that. So cultural foods, do they all, so even though they may be foods that we've eaten and that we have grown to love, oftentimes they may not be the healthiest of foods. And um, so back to my original question when we first started, I know when I'm working with people as a social worker and I'm trying to teach them to change the way they think, it can be quite challenging. But trying to teach people that have eaten a certain way for maybe 50, 60 years to change that way of eating, I'm sure that there are times that it's like pulling teeth, I would imagine. Yeah, and I, I think it's, to change. it's important too. Like, I like that example that mm-hmm. you gave because when you were naming like all the foods, I immediately thought of like how it can be unhealthy, but also how it could be healthy. So I mm-hmm. think it's important to like separate the method of how the food mm-hmm. was cooked to mm-hmm. how the food naturally came from the ground and its health benefits. So for like mm-hmm. example, you mentioned like the fried okra. Don't get me wrong. I've had some fried okra too, right? It's mm-hmm. really good. Yes. <laughs> but yes. what method can we make it now that we have all these types of tools and, and appliances and things that we can use? Can we air fry that instead and still get that same mm-hmm. texture? Um, we don't got to fry the liver. You know, liver has its benefit. I know some people don't like it. Some people prefer not to get their iron-rich foods from it, but liver has iron. Um, There are Mm -hmm. other things that you name too. So I think it's important, like, in that process of getting people to understand that their cultural foods are healthy, separate Mm -hmm. the method of how we cook it and how the food looked when we first got it in the market. You know, Mm -hmm. how did that food Mm -hmm. look when it was picked from that okra plant? That is a Mm -hmm. healthy food. You know, okay. so yeah, mm-hmm. we need to separate that. And honestly, it takes time to think of it that way. Because when you Google mm-hmm. healthy food, I can guarantee you soul food will not come up. Okay. <laughs> food that, <we're, laughs> that we were brought up on in most cases will not come up. Um, so yeah. I think it's because we've been so like, um, I guess, bombarded by like, oh, mm-hmm. you have to eat this type of food to be healthy without really understanding that your foods are healthy. It's just how can we separate the method of how it's prepared to what it truly is for our bodies? So I think that's kind of a way that we have to repeat ourselves and tell ourselves that. I see. That's excellent. Just excellent. And before we go on, you you talked a little bit about looking at the labels. Many years ago, when I was an undergrad, I had to take a an elective. And the elective that I chose to take it had to do with, it was a nutrition class and they taught us how to read labels. Can you talk to us a little bit about reading labels and the importance? You did did talk a little bit about it, but can you go into a little bit deeper about the importance of reading a label on a food product and how do you, how do you do that? You know, I won't, I won't let it, I won't tell how you do it because I do know (laughs) how you do it. 
But yes. can you talk to us a little bit about that? I think my audience can benefit from that. Absolutely. I think it's important when we look at the label, we need to look at the very top of it first and the back of it. Mm -hmm. um, and when I say the back of the label, what I mean by that is they will put all types of nutrition claims on the front of the label. They will say it's free of everything. It's low in mm -hmm. everything and it has nothing in it. And you're like, OK, it must be healthy. But you need to look at the back. <laughs> look at the okay. back first. Look at the serving size. The serving size is doesn't necessarily mean that's how much you need to eat. The serving size is just what they found in studies that people eat that amount of. So the serving mm -hmm. size is just a serving based on the nutrients or how much nutrients are in that particular serving size of the label. And so when I mean nutrients, if you go further down after serving size, let's say the serving size says a half a cup of beans, right? Mm -hmm. A half a cup mm -hmm. of beans is the serving size. So if you look at total fat, saturated fat, trans fat, cholesterol, sodium, there's numbers attached to those. That's how much of each of those particular nutrients it has per that serving size, not for the whole container. Okay. And so, yeah. So a lot of, I think mm -hmm. the, the, the um, FDA, they actually edit the labels not too long ago because they noticed that people started to think that, oh, people are going by how much nutrients are on the label and thinking that it's in the entire container, but it's actually mm -hmm. just for the serving size. So that's why we always say serving size first. Um, okay. If you want me to go in more depth about it, I mean, there are recommendations like I gave you for fiber. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's about two to three grams of fiber you want per serving. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to saturated fat, saturated fat is that fat that contributes to heart disease when it comes to heart attacks and strokes. Um, mm -hmm. That you want less than two grams if you can per serving. I see. Yeah. Trans fat can be zero. Mm -hmm. Now, and then the, the labels in terms of what's listed first, second, third, mm -hmm. if they're like seven ingredients in that yes. potato chip bag. Yes. And how do we know what's the what's the most ingredients and then what's the least ingredients when we look at the, at a label on a, on a particular food product? That, that's good. So the, the ingredient that has the most will come up as the first ingredient. Um, so a good example of that, going back to fiber, if something has fiber in it pertaining to a grain, for example, let's say like we'll take bread, pasta and rice. If the first mm -hmm. ingredient says 100 percent whole grain or whole grain flour, we know that mm -hmm. it has fiber. But if it's saying refined grain or um, if it's one of the last type of food items on that list of ingredients, we know that it does not have as much fiber as we would recommend. Because I noticed that a lot with people, again, we look at the front, we say, oh, it says brown bread <laughs> or it says oh, just yeah. meat bread, right? But it's important to look at the back of that label and see, does that first maybe one or two ingredients say whole wheat flour or 100% whole wheat? And that's how we know it's a true source of fiber that you're getting and it's going to have a more health of benefit to it. So you're saying the first ingredient is the is the one that has the it's going to be the most that has the most yes. of that particular ingredient in it. Yes, and absolutely. Yep. Now, how how about when I 
go to the store and I'm going to purchase some water. And the water says right on the bottom, on the bottle that there is no fat. And now we already know this, you and I, probably others that are listening, we already know this water is not going to have any fat. But no. well, why do they, why do they do that? Why do they, you know, market it that way? Because people fall for it. It's like, you know, it's, one thing right now, the trend is like vegan, right? And there's a way yes. to eat a truly vegan plant-based diet where you're getting the benefits, but then they'll also slap vegan on cookies and they'll slap vegan yes. on candy. And it is truly vegan based on the definition, but is it really a plant-based intention of where you're actually getting nutrients? So it is marketing and and we're so quick to grab things because of I call it like a healthy halo where you just yes. grab things because it says free of something. And that free of something may not even apply to your life. You may not need <laughs> free of gluten. You may not need, mm -hmm. you know, free of whatever is on the label. Mm -hmm. It's just really marketing. So we again, turn that label on the back. <laughs> you want okay. the true story. <laughs> That that's good because I I wonder and is is that legal knowing that that that's not even in that particular product? Mm -hmm. Yes, I wish it I is. had my example mm -hmm. with me in front of me. If you get like your can your you know your spray bottles of oil that you may buy, yes, look at the mm -hmm. serving size because mm -hmm. on the back of the label it has zero of everything, but we know fat has okay. calories. <laughs> we that's know right. fat has that fat. Look at the serving size. Some companies will put the serving size to be very, very small to the point where it doesn't have anything in it if you're basing it on a very tiny serving size. So those are just little mm -hmm. things that we have to take note of when we're looking at our labels. Great. And you said that if if I'm looking at a label at a at a any like a label or and I pick this thing up and it's 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 got all this sugar and all this this caramel and nuts is just so looking so good. And it says that it's only, only 60 calories. And, but it doesn't tell you that that's only for that one serving size. So it could have that particular thing could have maybe um, eight serving size. So I've got the eight times six, you know, Right. And I don't know how to calculate that out, though. I don't know how. And so I just actually buy it and I eat the whole thing thinking I'm only getting 60 calories and and all. We've yeah. got to educate ourselves better in terms of knowing how to actually pick that up and read it so that we won't get the sugar high when you're bouncing all around and you're all excited <laughs> and you get this pick me up with your yeah. mental health. And all of a sudden, when it's maybe four o'clock in the afternoon, after you've done that to yourself, you have this crash. You come crashing down a low, meaning that you're de de not maybe depressed, maybe not like like very, very depressed, but really right. feeling kind of low and kind of, you know, sluggish and all of that. And I believe it can go back to maybe what we chose to eat earlier that day, couldn't it? It could. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I like that you brought up the calories too, because I feel like some people think if it's low in calories, it's healthy. And it's like, yes. not necessarily. Calories don't depict if something's healthy. The nutrients depict if something is healthy. It depicts if it's going to help our mental, right? Our mental health, our mood, yes. our depression, our anxiety. The calories don't <laughs> indicate that. So I think it's so mm -hmm. important if we're trying to eat based on our mood, based on our mind, 
we need to get out of thinking just calories. We need to think direct nutrients. Direct nutrients. Yes, yes. And how about with with many of us start or have to start that morning off with that cup of coffee, coffee. <laughs> and cream and sugar. Ooh, lots of cream, lots of sugar in the coffee and all that and the mochas and all of that. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that might contribute to our mental health? Because we think that, you know, many of us think that we get that coffee in the morning and we've got to have it because it's going to increase my affect. They're going to be bright and I'm going to be perky and I'm going to be like ready to go, you know, hit the ground running. You you get bright, perky and nothing done. All right. Because there are some (laughs) Some people, and I'm not saying this because coffee has its benefits, right? Some For yes, some people, yes. it does have benefits. But if you know this for yourself, that you can't concentrate after drinking coffee, you may need to reconsider. Maybe it means you need to drink tea instead that has a little bit less caffeine where you're able to concentrate. Because if we're honest, some people can't tolerate coffee as well as they think they can. They just get that hyper, right? Hyperactive you know, they feel it in their body, but then nothing still gets done because the concentration right. isn't there. Um, and so I tell people too that even have anxiety, you know, if they feel like they've eaten a full meal in the morning, they drink two or three cups of coffee in the morning and they still can't concentrate or anxiety is still on a level of highness, I actually recommend mm-hmm. can we decrease the coffee? Because that can actually make the anxiety a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. It can. And then energy drinks before we yes. go down to that qu- last question there. Energy drinks, yeah. do they operate on about the same level as coffee would then with that caffeine in there or whatever they put in those yeah. energy drinks? Some of it's double, triple what coffee has in it, if we're honest. Like when mm-hmm. we compare like the, you know, the amount, some of it is triple or or more. So energy mm-hmm. drinks really do not have a direct nutritional benefit and and unfortunately our kids now are starting to drink more caffeine when i'm at the gym i've seen people with the cat the 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 energy drinks at the gym and it's like i don't think you understand yeah like how much damage that can actually cause to your heart and other organs Mm -hmm. in your body if you continue to drink those things because you get such Mm -hmm. that increased high and then you get Mm -hmm. that really hard crash so it's about thinking Mm -hmm. about the foods that help support your energy how can we supplement mm-hmm. those energy drinks for food that help and food that gives energy, the nutrient that gives energy are carbohydrates. And, mm-hmm. and when we think about carbohydrates, those are our fruits. Those are our starchy vegetables. Those are our grains, right? Um, beans. Mm-hmm. These are the ones that give us the energy at a sustainable rate for at least four to five hours until it's time to eat it and restore again. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's about just replacing those things. Uh, with more of the whole foods as much as you can. Yes, and Miss Jasmine, they um, there recently there was a lot of talk about carbs. However, mm-hmm. cutting the carbs, staying away from the carbs, that was just really on the forefront of nutritionist um, list and dietitians, and everyone was talking about cutting yeah. those carbs. But right. I hear you saying the carbs are good for you. They are. They are. That yep. is one Can you of the tell biggest... us a bit more about yes. why they are. Yes, because carbs have their place in our diets. Now, mm-hmm. the overconsumption of carbs or really anything can definitely be a detriment to our diets for sure and our life. 
But I think Mm -hmm. we need to also realize that carbs have certain vitamins like vitamin B that you can't get from Mm -hmm. other foods. It has fiber that you may not be able to get from other foods. And it serves as Mm -hmm. a purpose. One example that I like to use, like if you have a circle plate in front of you, most -hmm. people would say, okay, I'm going to eat my carbs and fill it up with half of my plate. That's where we go wrong. It's the amount. And so what we want to do is have the carbs for a a, a third of our plate, you know, so and then the vegetables and the fruit, you know, for the other half of the plate. So I think when we think of carbs, too, we always think about only rice, pasta, potatoes. Carbs are in other different types of foods, too. But those foods have fiber. So a lot of times it's really about the amount. It's not necessarily completely eliminate them because if we're honest a lot of our carb foods are also good for our mental health so like your berries right your berries have Mm -hmm. carbs your beans have carbs cantaloupe one of my favorites has carbs grains right um even like a small bit of that dark chocolate i'm not saying eat a whole bar of dark chocolate but a little bit of dark chocolate in moderation has those antioxidants and mental health benefits So I think it's Mm -hmm. um, time for us to, again, change that perception of why are we eliminating carbs? Most people eliminate carbs because they want to lose weight, but a weight size doesn't determine your health either. You know, that's right. It doesn't just like calories don't determine your health. Weight doesn't either. It's about the nutrients. Right. What is it going to provide for Mm -hmm. my mental health? That's excellent. That's excellent. That's a whole nother way of thinking. It takes a whole nother paradigm shift in our thought processes. But audience, you can do it. You know, it may be hard, but you can do it. You can do it. We're rooting for you. What steps and changes do I need to make in order to improve my mental health when choosing the types of foods that I may want to eat. And I'm saying I, audience, because I want you all to personalize this. So where that word says I, I want you to put your name there. So if Susan, if you're listening tonight, Timmy, if you're listening tonight, Janice, if you're listening, Gregory, whomever you may be, put your name, I, right there. And what types of foods do you need to choose in order to improve your mental health? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. It's going to be different for everybody. But if we think about the foods that have mental health benefits, start with those first. And then figure out, am I at least including one or two type of those foods into my particular diet or in my meals Mm -hmm. or in between my meals? Second, Mm -hmm. I would look at our frequency of eating. We talked about this earlier. We're living in such a fast-paced world that we forget to eat. We don't listen to our bodies telling us we're hungry. Usually we know we're Mm -hmm. hungry when we lose concentration or focus. We know we're hungry when that stomach growls, we feel weak, we get a headache. Those are all signs that our brain and our body is telling us, I need energy, AKA food, right? Um, right. So I, I think that's important to think about, you know, am I eating every four to five hours at max? Mm -hmm. Right. If you're not eating a snack in between Um, and then start one day at a time. We are in this culture where we feel like we need a quick fix. Like tomorrow we need to be vegan. And that's not it. Tomorrow we need to be able to run three miles. No, Mm -hmm. stop comparing ourselves to who we used to be. 
and what right. we used to look like and what we used what energy we used to have. So I think it's important for us to start with where we are slowly, gradually make those changes, especially if you're around other people, because as we start to make changes, it's not just affecting us. It's affecting the right. people around us. And so, you know, if you want them to be on this journey with you, you have to respect that and take it one food, one day, one behavior at a time. That that is great. And notice on your on your website when I was reading the vision and mission, I saw children that you all were working with. And they they appeared to really be happy and very engaged. How do you begin to teach the children about the importance of mental health, especially those children that are from the lower social economic status and those that may be in homes that don't cook the way that you're talking about? How do you actually influence them to actually buy into what you're teaching them? Absolutely. I think with the children, it definitely starts with the parents as well. I know when in mm -hmm. our culinary programs, it's funny and interesting to watch how we'll cook all these vegetables and fruits and and and, and talk about all these things that they think are true, but are actually false. And then they go yes. home and they tell their parents, I want broccoli today or I want some collard greens today. And their parents are looking like, what just happened? I thought we didn't <laughs> like those things. But I think it's important for kids to understand the benefits that apply to their life okay. when it comes to these foods. So I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. If you have an athlete, the 15 year old boy, that's an athlete. He want to be the top, the, the top player of his team. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. The companies right now, like your, your, your um, energy drinks, they're already putting in their head that, Oh, this is going to make you the best player on the court. So right. we have to do the same with nutrition and give them the facts and say, hey, not necessarily true. Do you know this? You get this crash. How about trying these fruits? How about making a smoothie with you know I lots see. of fruits and vegetables in it? This is the mm -hmm. benefits A, B, and C that it's going to give you. Because when I you see. think about it, that's what marketing does. It taps into those pain points of like what we mm -hmm. want to fix about our bodies necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so we have mm -hmm. to kind of do the same when it comes to the healthy foods and show the kids, oh, this is the benefit. This is how you're going to get an A on that test because you're feeding your brain, mm -hmm. right? To concentrate mm -hmm. and to, to, to concentrate on the question that you're reading and you're liable to pick the correct answer because you're, you're filled up mm -hmm. with, the nutrients that you need to be the best. So I think we have to kind of look at it in that way. We can't approach them by saying it's just healthy. That's not going to get through to them. It yeah, doesn't get right. through to most adults either, if I'm honest. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is so true. That, that's so true. That's so true. And so before we conclude the podcast, how, if if someone, you know, you you target the low social economic uh, population, you said, through Eat Well and, and really trying to reach out to that population and especially black and brown people to help them to eat well. And also it improves mental health. But how about if, if from different um, st income statuses, they may not have those funds to purchase more healthier types of food choices. Yes. What do you do? What do you do in that case? How do you actually help them or how do you show them still how to purchase more healthier types of foods, even though they may be on more of a fixed type of income? That's a good question. And it's honestly starting with where they are. 
And what when I say that, what I mean by that is kind of going back to the example, everybody's not going to be able to get fresh fruits and vegetables. It's not going to be in their convenience store that they have access to, but they may have some canned vegetables that they can rinse out and use. There may be some, the problem may be the cooking method versus the actual mm -hmm. food that they're eating that they can't afford. Mm -hmm. And then if we're honest, you know, there are a lot of social determinants of health that we mm -hmm. cannot control, but we're doing our best to alleviate some of, you know, the barriers that are set up in certain communities that decrease access to healthy food. But that's one of our initiatives to teach people how to grow their own food, to um, contribute to other initiatives that are in their community that can give them that access to food. But I think number one, the instant impact is going to be the start with where they are uh, and to get them mm -hmm. to see that there are even some foods that they're eating that could be healthy. It just may be the method. Can we, you know, eat it in a different mm -hmm. method if possible? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So it's definitely possible. You heard Miss Jasmine say that there is always an opportunity. So you may not be able to get the highest quality of food, maybe from the black farmers market that we have here in, Rale in the Raleigh and Durham area. However, you can go to the grocery store and maybe purchase a can of vegetables, rinse those vegetables off and eat those vegetables and start where you are. I would like to ask you, is there anything else that you might want to share with our listening audience and those that are watching tonight that you didn't share already before we close the podcast. Yes, thank you all for having me. If you want to learn more about what Eat Well Exchange is doing out in the community um, through cooking demonstrations, to culinary cooking classes, to nutrition education classes, and many more other opportunities, uh, go to eatwellexchange.org or you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook one word, eat well, exchange. Um, and yeah, donate to our initiatives. You know, this is a nonprofit organization. So we're always looking for ways to partner with different organizations and always looking for people to donate to the, donate to the mission um, and the goals that we have for the organization as a whole. That's great. That's great. Thank you so much for being our special guest tonight on the Lotus Flower Podcast. And it was just very informative. I learned so much in the hour that we spent talking together. And I'm sure that our audience has learned a lot as well. So once again, I look forward to seeing you all at the Black Farmers Market once again, where I met you and actually purchasing some of that fruit and then also participating in some of the online classes that you all offer through eat well as, as well. Can you tell our audience how they can actually connect with some of the classes that you teach online before we close the podcast? Absolutely. So if you want to be the first to know about any nutrition classes that we're having virtually or in person in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, subscribe to eatwellexchange.org. You will be the first to know um, what programs and what opportunities we have for you. Um, so definitely subscribe to our email list uh, to get those updates. Thank you so much once again for being my special guest this evening. And I am even more blessed to have known you and to have had you on the podcast tonight. And I will be eating healthy 
even healthier than I already eat now that I even know a little bit more about how to do so. So thank you again. Thank you. Have a good one. Have an amazing rest of the evening. Bye now. Bye-bye. Yes, I am so thankful to have had with me this evening my special guest, none other than Ms. Jasmine Westbrook, the co-founder and director of Eat Well Exchange here in the city of Raleigh, North Carolina. And I have made available to you the link to her pod, to her website, which is here at the bottom of the screen as well. So I'd like for you to type into your browser, eatwellexchange.org. And I'd like for you to go to the website and find out what it is that she does in greater detail than what we were able to cover this evening in our hour together and find out how you can benefit from some of the things that they offer at the Eat Well Exchange. Even though you may not live in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, there are some things that you can participate in and benefit from, even if you may live in a whole nother country. We do have people that are listening from Belgium, people that are listening from China, people that are listening from Africa. So you can log in and you can benefit as well because you know what? The internet makes everything so much more accessible. So be sure to check out Eat Well with Ms. Jasmine Westbrook and her co-director as well. Once again, this is the Lotus Flower Podcast, and I am your host, Dr. Pamela Robinson, and I am super excited to have had you with us this evening in the virtual space and in the audio space for the Lotus Flower Podcast. Now be sure to join us once again as we come into your homes or wherever you find yourself listening from for the Lotus Flower Podcast next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time streaming live on the Dr. Pamela Robinson Facebook page and on the Lotus Flower YouTube channel and then on wherever you find your audio podcast. The Lotus Flower Podcast, episode title, Food and Mental Health, season three, episode number 22. Thank you for joining us and be sure to have an amazing rest of the day. Bye-bye for now.